Hi, I'm Erica Ramirez, founder of Illy and host of What About Your Friends, a podcast dedicated to the many lives of friendship and how it's portrayed in pop culture. Every Wednesday on the Ringer Dish feed, I talk to my best friend, Stephen Othello, and your favorites from within the Ringer and beyond about friendships on TV, in movies, pop culture, and our real lives. So join me every Wednesday on the Ringer Dish feed, where we try to answer the question TLC asked back in the day, what about your friends? This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee, and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear are so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff, with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of reals always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Welcome to Guilty Pleasures on Ringer Dish. I'm Juliette Littman. I'm here I'm Amanda, with Amanda Dobbins. Dobbins. Sorry, oh, Amanda. I, I spoke over you. Interrupted it's okay. you. It's weird. It's like not jam session. So I'm like... <laughs> So the rules are different. It's like, I don't are you know. Introducing? Yeah, okay. On Bachelor Party, I always introduce my co-host. So it like threw me off. We're here today with a heavy heart to talk about the <laughs> new Regmine. New Regmine. I can't even speak. The new Meg Ryan film that you probably saw a lot of press about before it came out and then nothing else. Um, it's called What Happens Later. Co-stars David Duchovny. And we're here to discuss the nothing else part. Amanda. What is your tweet length review of this film? What happens later? No, is is what it is. I no, that's not <laughs> fair. I didn't. I didn't give enough thought to a, like a more evolved, all encompassing tweet about this film that I did not think was very good, and generally depressed me on <laughs> several levels. But also had its moments. Yes. Um, so. I gotta give, I don't really have to give them anything. This is a film (laughs) that is based on a play or inspired by a play, um, which you can tell because it is set entirely in sort of a magical realism airport. Yes. Okay, Um, so I'm really glad you said that. I actually didn't know that, but it explains a lot. Yeah, so it's a a one location, like budget conscious, shall we Mm -hmm. say, film. And it is just, it's a two-hander. It's David Duchovny, And Meg Ryan play two exes who are now of a certain age and they run into each other at the airport and uh, like on a weather layover, (laughs) 
Um, <laughs> and also it's leap year. And also they have the same name. Where do you think they're supposed to be? What's your take on that? <sighs> did you like think about like well, what airport so, is this? So there's a lot of snow. I didn't really. I It seemed like because they're going from Austin to Boston and Boston to Austin, which I actually enjoyed because I have a, I saw an old friend at Thanksgiving who is actually now living between Boston and Austin because oh. of the, the parents' jobs. And so I was like, oh, okay, this is not totally fantastical. <laughs> so they have to meet in the middle. They like are connecting from Boston to Austin. So I was assuming like... The, Chicago? Chicago is a good, a good one. I've never actually flown through Chicago because I don't often fly American Mm -hmm. um, because of where I'm trying to go the rest of the time. That's just like not my connecting hub. So it didn't immediately occur to me. I went to Dallas, but you're right. There's snow, but there's snow. Right. And it's Chicago. And the other, but it's a, it's again, a fantastical Chicago because this is the most (laughs) sparsely populated airport you've ever seen. Also just like the, the most like late 2010s, cheap boutique hotel decorated airport that you've ever seen in your entire life. It is like a lot cleaner and roomier than most airports that I have been to in recent months. There's a lot of like dark faux wood paneling and Instagram friendly lighting. And the, the gift shop that is closed looks something like a sharper image in my opinion. Sure. Yeah. It looks like the airport version of, like, a Williamsburg hotel. Like, sort of your standard-issue boutique hotel at this point. Yeah. But, like, as an airport with, right. like, a but lot like, of space. But, like, you can, you can tell that, like, the paneling, like, that it's, like, drywall with paneling over it, you know? And you, like, knock, 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 and it, like, might fall apart, you know? Like, I can see the set construction, which is... Sure. That's fine. Um... So they're in this airport, and I say I call it a magical realism airport because also the uh, loudspeaker announcement sometimes doubles as the voice of God, or if not the voice of God, then like a higher, more like a higher higher knowledge. Yeah, which honestly I thought was like was was not the most annoying part part of this film. I was like, it's it's a little obvious, but I was like, oh, this is like kind of clever, whatever, and. They really seem to be the only two people there. I guess sometimes there are people sort of milling, but you don't really see no anyone else. I noted that very distinctly. They did, which they, I think uh, is purposeful. Yeah, I mean, it's per is it purposeful because it it's like based on the play, or purposeful for budget reasons? Like they're only having to pay extras. I think both, and I think because this is like, you know, there is supposed to be this like fantastical one night, you know, I like. Like it's they're not the a, only people in the world that kind exa- of in exactly. their world. That and it's and it is like okay, so the basic premise, as evidenced in the title, what happens later, is like this is also unimagined, you know, what happens if you run into your ex yeah. like from from youth, because we we learned right. that they were together in their early twenties. And so it's an imagined like making peace, you know, settling score. You know, and it's, also it's imaginary. The, like, in the, and, like, the meta-textual piece of it with Meg Ryan is that it's sort of, like, after all of the rom-coms, like, what happens exactly. after that? Yes, and, exactly. And so, and so there's also all that, which 
again, maybe like I like incepted myself, but like the Chicago piece also like when Harry Met Sally begins in Chicago. Of course. And... No, that's a good, I think Chicago's the right call. I mean, it's like snow. There's yeah. like. The, the other reason I thought that is because they refer to Madison so casually without ever saying Wisconsin. Right. That's true. And if you live, and just having gone to Northwestern, like Madison was like, a regional place that people went to that was like more fun than where I was at Northwestern. So it's sort of like, it was sort of like Midwestern terminology. The the film also insists on bringing a lot of like hashtag references into it throughout, which is just like a, a common problem with fiction these days is that everyone's like trying to go viral. And so they put in a lot of references, <laughs> fiction of all types. But this one includes like things like bomb cyclone, you know? Yeah. And I, it's like, okay. Well, so I don't know whether a bomb cyclone, cyclone like happens often in Dallas, but I think Chicago, that makes more sense. So Chicago seems right to you. Yeah. To me. Yeah. Thank you so much. Um, yeah. So like the movie is uh, now knowing that it was based on a play, like makes a lot, a lot more sense. Like of like why there's only two people and why it's like basically... It's extremely talky. Like, it's all dialogue. It's almost like you could honestly listen to the movie without having to watch it to get I, yes, a lot I, of it. I, th- I think that that is true. And with all respect to Meg Ryan, whose career I uh, I love and who I think is very talented, um, I wouldn't say that the visual directing is uh, something to write home about in this film. <laughs> <laughs> no, there was one shot that I actually was like, oh, that looks good, which is the lighting when they're sitting at the, the airport bar and it's like black behind them when it looks the most like you're on a stage and for a play. I was yeah. like, oh, that works. Yeah. But anything that the spaciousness of the airport was actually like too much and too present that it was like distracting. Yeah. There's a shot at the end, spoiler alert, where... <laughs> I guess I'm, a spo- I'm, I'm. Am I spoiling what happens later? Um, I think it's okay. I wouldn't say the plot is necessarily like the biggest thing, but I do want to you know talk what? about. I can the plot. do this. I can do this without spoilers. There's a shot um through plane windows hmm. that really looks like you know when you go to some sort of amusement park or fair, and there's like a cardboard, you know, or like a, a a board thing with like a cutout where you're supposed to put your face and then take a photo. Um, it looks like that, but for plates. <laughs> so. Oh, man, that's rough. Um, but no, but the movie. So I thought, oh, they're trying to do Before Midnight. Um, the, they're trying to do the Before trilogy, right. but if they had not stayed together. And I think that is like sort of the elevator pitch. I think that that really misses or this execution misses a lot of what is interesting both about the before trilogy um, and those specific writers and performers and Richard, Richard Linklater and Ethan Hawke and Julia Delpy. But it's that basic thing. It's like a bunch of imagined, it's like two people going through like an intense emotional experience in a contained period of time. Unfortunately, right. it's not set in Europe. So also, that's tough. I will say my my knowledge of the Before trilogy is limited, so I don't want to talk out of turn here. But my impression from watching like half of the first one is that in all of them, there's a lot of motion, whether it's on the train oh, yeah. right. or no. walking. So, like, as I said, they are touring <laughs> the great European capitals before midnight, which is the third one and is the closest because before midnight is like the they've been married for however long. Yeah. And it's like, what is like marriage and, you know people of a, of a certain age, by which I mean, like, over 30. What are they, like, how are we all relating? And that's, like, on a vacation to Greece. 
as I recall. I think it's Greece. It's somewhere quite... Mediterranean? Yeah, and I'm pretty sure it's Greece. Uh, Quite scenic and beautiful. And it's like, you know, they have a lot of fights, but one of them it is at like this sumptuous dinner table. And another one is like (laughs) on a like drive from one beautiful beach to another. And like a third is like when they go off like to the coast. I mean, I guess all the Greek islands are coast, but they go to like, yeah, they have a night, just the, just the parents by themselves. So you are getting like, not just movement to your point, but also fantastic locations and scenery and not this airport. Right. Where they're just sort of like stuck. Also, did you watch, um, crap, what's the name of that show that was named based on the book? Um, Station (laughs) Eleven. Did you watch Station (laughs) Eleven? (laughs) <laughs> no, I didn't because when I read Station Eleven, the book, however many years ago, like over a decade ago, it was so affecting that I started crying on the sidewalk once about it. I'll never forget. I was like, it's a on, great book. In it's Fort a great, great Green book. on the sidewalk and someone said something and it, I, and it reminded me so much of this book that I found so like visceral and affecting that I started crying. So I skipped out on the, um, on the epidemic book during our, uh, our pandemic. So I think the airport has become coded as like Station Eleven for me as well. Oh yeah, I mean, sure, it's a big part of both the book and the show. In some ways, that's the most faithful part of the show to the book. And so, like, it it's kind of like a it's not a hopeful place. I understand why maybe like running into your ex there would be particularly emotional because, first of all, there's like science about how flying makes people more emotional. Also, I think airports are generally stressful, so it's like another stressful situation. But there's not a lot of magic to airports for me. And right. so that was that was a flaw, but... Well, that's an interesting setup because there's not a lot of magic to airports, sure. But also, it's not a hopeful place. Is maybe intentional? Because... Yeah, so this is not really a hopeful movie, right? Yeah, there we go. I was going to say, <laughs> I, do, I do not think it's a hopeful movie. And I think it's a, it's a melancholy movie. There is intended to be some sort of like sweetness or resolution I think in it at least but it's very much about like missed chances and regret and making the best of what's left and you know maybe and there's a lot there's a lot of very self-conscious and I thought like kind of annoying talk about middle age or aging but there is also a lot about you know to to the title and and to its credit, like what happens um, after the first you know romance of it, like or the the romance of an early relationship, and what happens after romantic comedy. So and it's not like it's not happily ever after, which is a good idea, right? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I think it was funny. We were just talking about this recently about how Starstruck kind of nails that ending. I yeah. It's this watching this movie definitely brought up for me all of the ways in which like you know the the Nora Ephron movies and like s- sort of leave it at the happily ever end ever after and they make you feel good and like most notably and you've got mail it's sort of like how can that possibly be a happily ever after <laughs> like he ended her business and it's like yeah reality does and also catfished her and yeah like yeah, you know it's, it's like a it's a it's like a possibly illegal like castle of lies <laughs> that he builds for her on Riverside Drive and yet it's a beloved movie including by the both of us and so i like the premise of this also is she's got to like, deal with a dog all of a sudden we oh, don't even know, know how she feels about dogs Seriously, it's such an imposition. Um, it's a, so it's like a good point, and you can also really understand why this is like something that Meg Ryan feels like she has to address because 
we both love her career, but I would say it's really dominated by her roles in Nora Ephron movies. Yeah, and she has talked about kind of the typecasting, and I think she's both like very grateful for all the opportunities, but it's like, if you can't see past Meg Ryan and Sleepless and You've Got Mail and the romantic comedy queen, then, you know, that limits what she what she gets to do yeah. And, yeah. and her career. This episode is brought to you by eBay Authenticity Guarantee. You'll know real when you get it. It'll say eBay Authenticity Guarantee and you'll feel it. Maybe it's a head-turning handbag, a watch that says it all, jewelry that makes you look like the gem. Sneakers and streetwear so fresh, every step feels fly. When it comes to style and luxury, eBay gets it. They're making sure the things you love are checked by experts. Not just any experts, specialized experts, real people who love this stuff with real hands-on authentication experience. So when you see that shiny blue checkmark that says authenticity guarantee, shop with confidence. Every inch, stitch, sole, and logo is verified authentic through a detailed inspection. That's how you know that eBay's got your back. Because when you finally step into those sneakers, put on that watch, get your real gold glow up, swing that handbag over your shoulder, or step out in that streetwear, you'll realize that feeling is unlike any other. With eBay Authenticity Guarantee, you can trust that feeling of real is always in reach. Ensure your next purchase is the real deal. Visit ebay.com for terms. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. And so it's like a really good premise. And then unfortunately, it just lacks the magic that an airport lacks, which is funny because Meg Ryan's character is supposed to be like into like wellness and believe in, oh, in God, like that was spirituality okay. and stuff. So yeah, so <laughs> it's a real, I don't know if I like that they tried, but sometimes you do have to try things. And it's not like the worst elevator pitch on its face, right? Unfortunately, a lot of the specifics fall really flat for me. <laughs> starting, starting, you know, we we dinged the airport and kind of the lack of like any visuals. As you said, this could be a good podcast. Um, and maybe, and maybe that's how you should consume it. The characters, I'm not sure. I buy either of them. And that doesn't mean that I think the performances are bad, but as you noted, Meg Ryan is dressed like late period Diane Keaton, which seems really intentional, and is playing against like Sally type, basically. Yes. Um, very consciously. And there are lots of, and this is where some of the like very viral, like, you know, we need to talk about, make jokes about wellness things come in. And I just, and, 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 
everyone's carrying around a, a rain stick the whole time, which I just, I didn't <laughs> feel was thoughtful in any way. Did you have one of those like omnipresent in elementary school? Because I did. It was yeah, like very big. Of course. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I don't, I, I Soothing I'm not, sounds for kids, I guess. Yeah. So, and she doesn't have her phone a lot because of like, there's not charging. And so she's a woman without her power. And I was just like, okay. She's very impractical woman. Yes, exactly. And he is, she's like the man, she's like the woman of faith and he's like man of science. They have a debate about, or they just, a disagreement, it's not a debate about if leap year is magical or it's a scientific need to align the calendar. Like that is in the, that is in act one. So that like sort of like right. sets up the framework of who these two people are. And another question that she asks him is, are you on a trip or are you on a, a journey? journey? And guess what, everyone? She, it's revealed that she's on a journey. So he's <laughs> he's set up as like some sort of like banker guy who, you know, isn't has, I has made like management consultant. That's okay. sort of the vibe I was getting. And just kind of like has made some has some low grade parenting regrets. Um, though honestly, he like resolves them pretty quickly and it seems like he's trying with his with his daughter who wants yeah. to be a dancer. A dancer, um, but is yeah. yeah, but isn't like prepared for the uh, whatever. That was I didn't know what to say to that. Um <laughs> but he's just kind of like a nothing character, I would say. And that's I think David Duchovny's like very charming I'm in this say, movie. I certainly enjoyed his performance yeah, more than Meg Ryan's. But yeah, he just because to, he doesn't have a lot to do. Might be sexism for, on my part, so I just you know have to call it out for myself. Well, no, he not he doesn't have a lot to do. I agree. He's just sort of like a foil, like literally. He doesn't all he is yeah. is oppositional to her. Because can we talk about the plot? Because like over like time and a lot of fights about why did they break up and like what's you know and are they doing what they want to be? It's revealed like the center of the revelations is about Meg Ryan's motherhood or lack thereof. Mm-hmm. And or not lack thereof, but her relationship to it, because they, we find out they broke up because they had a mess miscarriage at a very young age. And then there's something about an open relationship that honestly, I didn't understand. And then we find out that she's going to Boston in order to meet the child that she gave up for adoption after her relationship with after David her Kennedy. relationship. Yes. So. She's obviously very, that's like very complicated and she's nervous about that. And they, and they talk a lot about the loss of, of their child together, which I thought was like, I, I'm not sure I like really felt like it totally flowed and in, fit into the plot, but also I thought those conversations were moving, you know, yeah. like I, yeah, I, it's, I'm not, that's tough stuff. And, and it is seldom represented in movies and television. So, or represented well in any case. So I'm not trying to ding that it, is included, it just doesn't... Um, doesn't feel earned. No, not at all. It even, it like, even though like the whole play is kind of, or I'm sorry, the whole movie that <laughs> resembles a play is structured around those revelations. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So I have some questions about what was changed from the play to the movie sure. because I did, I was trying to, to figure that out once you mentioned it. I did like a cursory search one of the main things that I can tell was changed was their names. Like they're like they have the same name. They're both like Will D or something like that. Like she's yeah. Willa and he's Bill. But like those are not the names in the play. Like their names are like Reed and like just like <laughs> Reed and Elaine or something like that. The, and um, the so, name thing me. is way too cutesy. Reed and Elena. Yes. And also like from reading the description, I was like, this is very obvious. But so 
that, um, I'm like, okay, so that I added that in for the movie. The other thing that I was really curious about was that there's a big, a big part of like their kind of animosity towards each other is the role of like rock music in their relationship. Oh and, God, yeah. And how um, basically the Bill, David Duchovny's character, like loves rock music and like Willa, Meg Ryan's character ended up using like the knowledge he sort of like imparted on her as like one might say or perhaps mansplained to her in their relationship to get a job at like the record store in Madison after he had left. And she, and there's like, and Meg Ryan speaks a lot of like lines about how horrible it is to date a musician. And um, Meg Ryan very famously dated John Mellencamp for a long time. I forgot uh, about that. They've since broken up. So as I was watching this, I was like, is this about Meg Ryan's relationship with John Mellencamp? And it just felt so transparent. Like there were lines it's that really were like, funny. there were like in the middle of it, She's like, there's no, there's no better way to ensure you won't be the center of of the of your like partner's world than by dating a musician or something. Like there were several lines about how you can never be like the most important thing if you date a musician. And I was just like, is this about John Mellencamp? I need to know. That's really funny. As soon as they started arguing about like whatever rock band, I that was when I started looking at my phone. Like, I'm sorry, this is guilty <laughs> pleasures. We're allowed to say that it wasn't like 100% attention span. And frankly, I needed to look up some party supplies for a holiday party that's coming up. I love how guilty pleasures has become Amanda's way of sharing with the world what she's Googling to buy while watching things for work. Well, that's just honesty. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, so's everyone else. And the rest, you know, and when I'm doing my job for my job, I'm focused. I'm not using my phone or I'm trying not to. And when I'm doing guilty pleasure, I'm doing what everybody else is doing, which is sort of second screening when something like awkward or that they're not interested in comes up. So for me, it was Googling party plates. And I have to tell you, I still haven't purchased anything. I'm really at sea. I don't know like what the right level of kitsch is. Mm, Do you have any thoughts on this? Is it for your Christmas party? Yeah, it is. It's a holiday party. We're including all holidays. I think it's fine for something to be a Christmas party. I just want to say, you don't actually need to be inclusive with your personal party in your home. It is really Christmas forward. You know, (laughs) there are several Christmas trees. There's no getting around that. I would say the color scheme is predominantly inspired by, you know, a a capitalist Christmas. But I just, it's a time (laughs) for people to, it's, and red. But it's time for people to come together. This reminds me of in um, Wedding Crashers when uh, Rachel McAdams gives a speech. You both like the color green, as in money. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's a that's a botching of the line, but you know what I mean. Um, right. My suggestion to you is to pick a few a few source texts and use that. Like, are you going for Charlie Brown Christmas or are you going for National Lampoon Christmas? Like, pick a source text and let that guide the way. Okay, that I mean that still really stresses me out, but thank you. All right, we'll get back to the movie anyway. I didn't listen to the music stuff, but the John Mellencamp reading is very smart. Thanks. Also, they make a like a joke about Lester Bangs, and I'm like, oh yeah. I'm like, is that, um, I feel, per- I, I'm not like a huge Lester Bangs fan, but I am a gigantic fan of Philip Seymour Hoffman as Lester Bangs and almost right. famous. Right. So I'm just like. Did you hear on the rewatchables? I think it was like at the very end of the In the Line of Fire rewatchables, which I understand like not everyone is listening to start to finish, <laughs> but I did. And they identified at some point all of the movies that Ringer individuals will quit if they're not. Uh-huh. Included on like the rewatchables version of, 
Yep. And I just want you to know that they have you with Almost Famous. And they have me with Talented Mr. Ripley 99. Not Talented Mr. Ripley. Um, because I was I I did get to do that. Really, one. Didn't um, we do that already? Yeah, Thomas Crown Affair, 99. Oh. Sorry. Another yeah. wily man. The fact that I would um quit over not being involved in Almost Famous Rewatchables is why it has not been done. I'm gonna have to assume. So <laughs> But it's like, but it's at least disc- the- I mean, it's off disgust. It is not like something that I'm like carrying to my grave. No, I know. It's something but that I just is brought want you to know. It's often. like Bill hasn't, Bill hasn't forgotten. Okay. That's because I would not let him forget. <laughs> so anyway, can we return to what happens later? Because I also just wanted to just talk about um, just like the sound in general. Like there was just something about like the sonic experience of this movie that I found really weird. I don't know. It just, it was just a really weird movie. I will say talking about it kind of makes me like it more. It makes me appreciate like the fact that we have a Meg Ryan rom-com. We have a Meg Ryan movie, I should say. It's not a rom-com. It's just a movie. And and her thoughts on the rom-com. Yeah, it's like tackling. It's tackling the genre in a way that like, I'm happy to be engaging with it. And I, I will say it's like definitely a good movie for like while you're doing errands or while you're watching or like you know, cooking or something. I mean, like I mean, like Talk cooking. Me like through, no, no, stuff. no. I know, but like I have you ever watched a movie while doing errands? No, not. Although I will say, like I'm astonished by like what people do outside of their house now, outside of COVID. In the last two days, I've heard like several work conversations where like people are like angry. I'm like, wow, I wonder how that's going to turn out. And then I went to get breakfast in a coffee shop, and like. There were multiple oh, like other people having work conversations, yeah. not like conversations at your work. I was like, oh, no, no who's angry? OK, no, <laughs> like on the street, like people are just doing private things in public, I guess, or what I consider to be private. Speaking of people watching things in public, I was at the playground yesterday as, as or a few days ago, as happens to me. And there was a dad who just was like fully watching stuff on his iPhone with headphones in while his elder daughter was honestly kind of bullying everyone and then she (laughs) but it's fine because then she started trying to play soccer with this like tiny soccer phenom and who just absolutely cooked her so oh my god (laughs) the dad was not parenting but she learned the lessons of life anyway that's really funny um i it would just be it's ideal for like making a to-do list cooking cleaning up your closet like just you know home chores i should say and having on in the background. I, 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 one does... of my home chores is online shopping, okay? <laughs> what was the other thing we were talking about on Jam Session that had a good rom-com ending? It was Starstruck and something else, and now I can't recall. Was but it do... Fleabag? Mm, I don't know, but I forgot to tell you that I was in the presence of Hot Priest. He was at the Gotham Awards. Oh, I... yeah. I mean, he's uh, he's absolutely incredible in that movie, All of Us Strangers, which I think comes out in December. And, you know, it's one of those rolling things. Um that's the movie I've cried the most at this year, but like in a in a positive way. I think Good Hot stuff. Priest is one of the most enduring characters of my lifetime. Yeah. It's only been a short part. A few number of years since he's hit the scene, but I'll always remember Hot Priest. Um, anyway, I do feel like in general, the new generation of rom-coms like is doing the endings better. But I, I, I just, I'm glad to have Meg Ryan engaging on the topic. I wish it was a good movie. <laughs> I do as, I do as well. Um, can we talk about the dedication? We sure can, Amanda. You had been texting me. I've, I want to apologize to you right now because you had been texting me about this movie like since all the press covers started and you had a screener. And so I just assumed that you had seen it and I was like really behind. So I was live texting you 
as I watched it, thinking that I like finally, like, you know, I owe Juliet some feedback on this film <laughs> and we're podcasting together. And so, but you had not yet watched it. So I spoiled several things, but really the dedication to you, which I don't is think this movie is spoilable. I just don't think it's on that level. So don't worry about it. But I at the at the end of the film, after the cardboard cutout plane <laughs> situation, which like, guys, come on. Uh, it could have honestly been a real plane, but the combo of the lighting and the HD, it just didn't work. It's dedicated. Um, it's for Nora. And I you know, I guess I didn't verify this, but I'm assuming that is Nora Ephron. Um, uh, I believe so. They were good yeah. friends. I remember yeah, like five years ago, I think David Mark Casey interviewed her for the New York Times Magazine. She talked about their relationship and it was like very moving. So yeah, I, I think we can safely assume it was her. Okay. I don't know. How do you think Nora Ephron would receive this? You know, I wish we had gotten more divorce content from Nora Ephron. I guess I'll just say that. And so perhaps on that level, she would have enjoyed it. A man, a woman who had multiple relationships. So I don't know. I just made me sad. The music also made me sad. I, I will say I've been listening to a lot of Harry Connick Jr. lately, which is the music of Nora Ephron. And I just like, I haven't really liked that music. I like jazz in general. And it was certainly not on the level. The best scene of the movie actually is when they're dancing and like, yeah, that was charming. Yeah, and so I was like, oh, we should, I wish they could have been able to afford better music. I don't think Nora Ephron would have been that proud, but perhaps she just would be glad that Meg Ryan was making movies. I think so too. She supports women. She does. I mean, she also, you know, had opinions, which is one of the reasons we love her that we that we loved her. Yeah, I don't know if I recommend this one. I, like I said, it's a good it's a good background experience. It's like, also, if you're going to be passionate about something, that's important to know everything. So if you are a rom-com enthusiast, you got to engage. Yeah. You got to know the playing field. I, yeah, you know. Exactly. Um, thank you to Sasha Oshel for producing this podcast. Don't forget to check out me and Amanda on Jam Sessions, which is usually Monday afternoon, sometimes Tuesdays. And we only will if be Juliet back. goes to special awards shows like she or did this week. Scheduling challenges. Who knows? Sure. We've had you some know, Tuesdays. But I, like, I like it to be, I like it to be <laughs> glamorous. You know, you did go to an awards show. For glamour reasons, we might be on Tuesdays, but usually Mondays. Um, check us out then and have a great weekend. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.